0: This is Beth Bruno, and you're listening to The Fierce and Lovely Podcast. On this podcast, I amplify the feminine voice and curate feminine glory so that you, my listener, find your own fierce and lovely story. It has become somewhat of a sacred journey for me to uncover the stories of women from around the world throughout time and present day. The more fierce and lovely women I explore, the more I fall in love with the one in whose image we reflect. My hope is that in this space, you embrace your own beautifully ordinary life as the majority story most of us are living. Welcome to the Fierce and Lovely Podcast. I am so glad you're here, especially for today's conversation, because I think it's something we all struggle with, comparison. Rochelle Parham is a fellow Redbud writer, which if you've been following me, you know that's the Writers Guild I'm a part of, the one that taught me everything I know about the business of writing. Her recent book, Mythical Me, Finding freedom from constant comparison comes from her own story of growing up with a birth defect, but is a message for all of us in an age of viral comparison. The cover of her book is so captivating. It's an iPhone screen, but the screen is actually a mirror. I keep looking at it, trying to get a good image out of it. It's really intriguing. Here's my conversation with Rochella. Hello, Rochella, and welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, Beth. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a real treat to be here.
0: Well, can you start us off by just talking a little bit about where you are right now and um, a little bit about your personal life and what occupies your days? Who is Rochella? Oh, thank you for
1: asking. <laughs> it's it's nice to have someone ask um, about me personally. I am a um, Sitting currently in my home in Durham, North Carolina, I live right down the street from um, Duke University, or not quite down the street, but, but very close to Duke University. Um, I live here with my husband, Jack. He and I have been married for 34 years, and so obviously I got married when I was 12, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, not quite, but we, did, we got married really young, but we've now been married for 34 years, and we have three adult sons. My oldest son is a naval aviator and got married this summer. So I have one daughter now, a beautiful daughter-in-law named Christiana. My second son, Preston, is 26 and he is an accountant. My youngest son, Lee, just graduated from college and is looking for a job. So um, most of my days right now are spent very differently from my days of just a few years ago. I have just graduated from being mostly a stay-at-home mom. I'm um, so grateful that I got to um work only part-time while I was mothering my kids. And um that was a huge, huge blessing. And now I'm um kind of transitioning into more and more work, some of it at home and some of it away from home, and I'm trying to learn new rhythms because taking care of a home that is full of three energetic boys and taking care of a home with just a husband are are really two different things. I haven't done this in a long time and, um, it's requiring some real thought and care and a whole lot of trial and error. But, um, I am, I am grateful for the chance to be here with my husband and to, to work on being, um, the best wife to him that I can be, while also pursuing ministry opportunities. And I do that mostly through um, two organizations, my local church, part of leadership at a church called The Gathering Church in Durham, North Carolina. And I serve um, on a larger scale with Renovare, the spiritual formation ministry that was founded 30 years ago by Richard Foster and some of his friends, Dallas Willard among them and I serve on the ministry team and board of Renovare so that work keeps me busy but that's me in a nutshell
0: i love how you said you've just graduated um, <laughs> don't, don't you think sometimes that um, you know women who who lived that kind of life were mostly at home and then uh, empty nester ought to get some sort of graduation as well
1: right <laughs> It is. It's amazing how we we go from um, we go through our children's lives, marking milestones. But then those are those are milestones in our parenthood as well. So, yes, I would like a graduation party, please with cake. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think it's a new thing. A new That's right. That's right. That. I love it. Well, you have a full life, and I love um, some of the work that that you are stepping more fully into. And I know you've been a part of Renovare for a long time. Um, so maybe now you have even more time to devote to that. But Rochelle, can you tell us a little bit about where you see the intersection of fierce and lovely in your own life?
1: That is such a good question. I love the way you, you ask that question of your guests. And um, I think that um in the past, Beth, I have many times been fierce over unconsidered things. I have fiercely clung to misconceptions and, and have been fierce, sometimes fierce in the defense of God as I understood Him, or fierce in my own defense or that of my children, and um, now I I am grateful to say that I think that I can be fiercely in favor of God's love and our love for one another. I um, run into so many people who are like I once was, and that is they they really do question whether God loves them. They can understand that God is loving and maybe even understand that God is love, but they're not certain whether God loves them personally. And now I, I feel myself coming most passionately alive, um, which is the way I am interpreting fierceness, um, in, in speaking of the goodness of God and His presence with us and His love for us. And I will I um, will fight you. If you characterize God as distant, as aloof, as um, disappointed, as indifferent, any of those things, if um, so, if you say something bad about God, I'm going to fiercely <laughs> oppose that and and fiercely defend the fact that you are loved by God. So. Um, Actually I, I think that I would have to say my when I try to think about what's lovely for me, it's um when I consider the redemption <laughs> that's happened in my own life as I have transitioned um from what I was once fierce about to this. Um because um you know I used used to be really good at using words as weapons. And um, years ago, when I started a blog, I actually took a name for my blog that was at the time aspirational only. Um, my blog is called "Imparting Grace," and it comes from um, fourth chapter of Philippians. It says, um, "Let no evil word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is useful for um, you know imparting grace to the hearer." And I thought that's how I want to use my words. I want to use my words to impart grace. And to see that God has taken my journey of being ungracious and um, hypercritical and stuck in comparison, and has has woven even the bad things together into a story that is now, I think, full of grace, um, or at least much more full of grace. So I think that is a lovely thing. I love the way god redeems our stories
0: Mm. (laughs) i love that answer rochelle i don't feel like any of of my guests thus far have articulated um that fiercely defending god Mm. um, and god's love for us
1: yeah
0: um beautiful tell us a little bit about what you're alluding to with your journey um and, and I suspect you're referencing uh, the story that is now in your new book, Mythical Me. Um, so can we start there, maybe even with some of the backstory of...
1: How I came upon the story that I told? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. your personal journey of comparison.
1: Right, right. Well, I am um, an old hand at comparison, let's put it that way. And... Um, Only in my adult life, Beth, did I realize that I was doing this. And not because I'm good at realizing things, but because I had it pointed out to me. (laughs) I tell the story in the first chapter of a conversation I was having with my husband in which I was actively comparing myself to the best attributes of three friends that I had just spent some time with. And um, I, I never noticed that this was a habit, a pattern for me. And my husband, at that point, he'd been my husband for 15 years. Um, so he knew me pretty well. And he told me to stop it. And I said, stop what? He said, you you do this all the time. You're constantly comparing yourself to the people around you. Um, and he went on to say something that stuck with me so clearly. He told me that I compared myself not just to other people, but that I chose each person's most outstanding attribute, and compared myself um, to that outstanding attribute. So he he said, "You'll you'll choose this person's um, giftedness. You'll choose this person's strength. You'll choose this person's um, physical makeup. You'll choose th- that person's." Um, talent for, you name it, for singing, for cooking, for raising children, for whatever. But I would choose whatever someone was best at and assume that I should be as good as that. And you can imagine, um, I I never measured up in my own eyes. I always came up short. And he said to me in that conversation, this was back in the year 2000, he said, You have created for yourself a mythical composite woman, and that's who you think you should be. This composite woman made up of all these great attributes. But I'm telling you, she doesn't exist. And what he was trying to say to me was that he wanted to have... A relationship with the real me, not with this ideal person I was constantly trying to be and constantly being thwarted in becoming. And um, the backstory of that is actually pretty, um, pretty sad, or could have been pretty sad, Beth. Um, I did not realize that I was projecting my own fears and misgivings about myself. Onto my husband, so I would believe the worst about myself, and then I would assume that that's how he felt about me. And you can imagine how good that is for a relationship. <laughs> it was it was pretty bad, and um, we we ended up really struggling. Uh, we'd been married a long time, and we actually went through a marital crisis. And I can say now that I am so grateful. Because I ended up in, we didn't just end up in marriage counseling. I ended up in um, individual counseling and then, and then finally in psychotherapy because my problems were so deeply ingrained. Um, and it's funny, I almost didn't use the word therapist when I wrote, when I told this story in the book. This is more backstory for you. I love it. Um, I just alluded to having seen a counselor. And then it occurred to me that there are probably some people who really struggle with comparison, who need to know that it's okay to seek the services of a mental health professional if you need it. And um, I didn't do that for a long time. I had all these, you know, terrible misgivings about what you know what's involved in mental health care, and um, I, I didn't seek help for a long time. And by the time I got help, I needed the help of a highly trained professional. I was really blessed because I found a, an excellent psychotherapist who was also a woman of deep faith, and I'm grateful for that. But it was not pretty. Um there was there was a time when I was actually seeing a therapist twice a week because we were trying to peel back all the layers, the things that had gone into getting me to the place that I was, you know, finally in this personal crisis. So um, I'm grateful that I got help, but it was she who helped me to um, kind of unpack this whole comparison thing. I knew at this point I was doing it because my husband had pointed it out to me, but I didn't know what to do about it, and I didn't even know how I'd gotten there. And she's the one who, um, you know, it sounds so hackneyed to say, well, we went back to my childhood, but it, it actually was. It, you know, these patterns were developed when I was a child, and uh, I did not lie on her couch, <laughs> but I did sit there and go back with her and um, delved into the all these parts of my past. And it turns out I had been comparing myself with other people um, almost all my life because I was born with a, a birth defect and is real visible. I have a very rare disease, um, but the. The visible part of that is that most of the right side of my body is covered with a a birthmark, this huge port wine stain that covers most of the right side of my body. And I was hyper aware of it. Um, I knew that I didn't look like the other kids, and I was constantly noticing the way they looked and how that was different from how I looked. And it kind of grew from there. So there was a lot to unravel. Once I finally got to the bottom of it, then there was a lot of work to be done. But I could start at—I could sort sort of start at zero. Then start from the ground instead of being way below zero. I had to sort of claw my way up to the ground so that I can then build something. Um, because before I got professional help, I was six feet under. Mm.
0: Well, I love, first of all, Rochelle, my husband is a therapist. So, not surprising me at all. And the work that no. he does is story work. So, he, hmm. we, our center is all about the, the belief that um, the, the day-to-day, the present reality that we are walking in is, is largely shaped and formed by a narrative that began as a, you know, as a childhood, those childhood wounds. And what I think is so good for everyone to hear in your story is that as an adult woman married for 15 years, struggling with comparison and seeing the stress that that placed on your marital relationship, you still were not aware that it occurred. It started in, in your childhood with that's that right. very obvious and glaring um, thing that's, that made you stand apart. So for, in some ways, it seems like your example is extreme, and yet still you didn't see how much it impacted you. So right. I just think it's good for people to hear that, even those who have maybe a lesser obvious, less obvious um, mm-hmm. th- th- wound of childhood. That perhaps they're not understanding how it's still impacting their day to day and their relationships. So exactly. I, I love that you shared yeah. that, and I know that's vulnerable mm. to to share some of your story and to even come to say the name therapist can be vulnerable for a lot right. of people. But I think it's so good to normalize it and to dispel those stereotypes of people laying on couches. <laughs> um, right. So yeah. important. So <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, mm. And I, yeah, just. I can only imagine from a young girl beginning to make interpretations about who you are as Mm -hmm. you see others looking at you Mm -hmm. and mirroring in their face um, who you must be.
1: Right. Oh, wow. um, You know, it's my birthmark is not who I am, and yet it defines so much about who I believed I was um it's interesting i have i have come to be able to call it a birth defect with no without really any baggage attached and that's a big thing for me um i have actually struggled a little bit with some elements of the body positivity movement i think some elements of it are just wonderful um but every now and then, there's there's this hint of taking something that is that is difficult and calling it beautiful. Now it can it can become beautiful in its redemptive state, but you know this is what what I have is is in fact um, part of a disease, and disease is not beautiful. I mean, and I don't benefit from saying, oh, my birthmark is actually beautiful because it's what makes me um, outstanding. No, this is a difficult thing. Um, this is an illness, and there are symptoms of it and things that I have to deal with every day. What is beautiful is the life that God can create, um, not only in spite of the difficulties like birth defects, but but also Taking them into account, he can bring something beautiful out of it. But I don't really think it's helpful to say, "Oh, your birthmark is beautiful." It's not. It's not beautiful. It, it, it's, it's, uh, you know, it is really. It's kind of hard to look at. It is, um, you know, my my right leg is two and a half inches bigger than my left leg. Um, I th- there are places where you know the the vein involvement with my birthmark gets worse over time. Um, it. It, it's not a beautiful thing, but no longer do I feel like I have to hide it. For a long time, I did think that the, the very best thing was if I could hide it um, so that I, no one else ever had to look at it. You know, it, I didn't want anyone to look at it. I knew people were looking at it. So if I could hide it, then I felt like I could take all the discomfort away. That simply isn't true. Um, it's so much... So much better to be able to look at it, to call it what it is, to say, you know, this is what came of that, and then God can use all of that, and um, because of His great love for me, something good can come of it. But I don't have to call what is not beautiful beautiful. I can be truthful and straightforward. But, um, it is fascinating to me how many people have something like a birthmark, Um, not that many people have a birthmark like mine, but people have something. Sometimes it's a physical characteristic. Sometimes it's um, mental or emotional. But most of us have some kind of mark that we tend to think um, disqualifies us from normalcy. And um, unfortunately, I think there are too many of us who do what, what I did, which was to take my own feelings of inadequacy and unlovableness, and then project that onto other people and onto God.
0: Which I think is what you're hoping to do in your book. Uh, it's not just a memoir. It's not just your story, mm-hmm. but it is an encouragement to the reader. Um, so tell us a little bit more about what your hopes are for the book's impact on those who would pick it up. What do you want for them as they read uh, your story and your, the truths that you lie out in the book?
1: Yeah, so um, playing on that phrase, the mythical composite woman that my husband coined all those years ago, that's where the title came from mythical me. But um, I used the word myth and um, honed in on basically false narratives, false beliefs that that I had about myself and about God and about other people. And um, that that's what constant comparison, Got me into was believing these things that aren't true. And um, what I realize now is that I'm not the only person prone to comparison. And unfortunately, it's a problem that is getting worse. You know, my, my book has the picture of an iPhone on the cover um, and might make you think that the book's all about social media. No, <laughs> I was struggling with comparison long before social media, but I think. With the advent of social media, the problem of comparison has gone viral. Um, We used to be able to compare ourselves with people in our immediate circle. Now we can compare ourselves with strangers on the Internet, right? What I hope is that people who have found themselves in a similar place of feeling that whatever about them has rendered them unacceptable and unlovable, um, that people would be able to see the place of insecurity where they are, they are living and trying to address with this tool of comparison. And um, I firmly believe that insecurity is the root of comparison. But what I discovered is that it's also the fruit of comparison. You can't get over comparison by comparing more. You can't get over comparison by changing how you compare. I've often heard people say, oh, well, if you are comparing yourself to someone who is richer than you and you feel bad doesn't just compare yourself to someone who is poorer than you and you'll feel good no it's still comparison it's it's that's not that's not the cure um, but I think what we what we're really looking for when we do indulge in these comparisons is assurance we want to know that we're loved and accepted And at a deeper level, we want to know individually that we're lovable and acceptable. And I hope to guide people into the truth about, first of all, about God, because I think wrong ideas about God end up shaping everything about our lives. And I want to guide people to the truth, the bedrock truth about God, which is that He is crazy about them, that He loves every single person who is considering themselves unlovable in any way. Nope, not true. God loves and likes them and is fond of them and wants to hang out with them, all of that. And that the security of that knowledge, I think, can change everything. And then I want people to learn some different ways based on that and in- incredible truth about God. Um, some different ways to look at themselves and other people.
0: And then you want people to know that it's a daily practice, right? That it's...
1: Exactly. It's it's uh, Several people lately have asked about the length of the book. It's a pretty short book. Um, it's, you know... Compared to, haha, <laughs> compared to other books that are coming out this month, I have some author friends who also are releasing books. And, and I look at mine, I think, okay, mine's pretty, mine's pretty short and stacked up against those. And um, that that's purposeful. Um, I, I want it to be a digestible kind of thing. But it is a short book and a long journey because I honestly believe that constant comparison is a habit. And there's usually some something that has happened that has habituated us in this way. But it is a habit. And um, a habit cannot just be thrown off. You can't just one day sit up and say, okay, great, I'm not going to compare myself with people anymore because now I know it's not a good idea. No, it, it's a habit. And habits can't be um, just you know wished their way out of habits have to be interrupted and replaced and i firmly believe that this this habit is born of insecurity so we we have to take on new habits that get at that underlying insecurity and then also re- replace the 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 things that trigger us into the act of comparison so the the last third of the book really is is dealing with some old things and learning some new habits that can take the place of that old habit of comparison.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Rochella, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing with us just oh. a little bit. Uh, I mean, just even if people never pick up the book, I feel like you've offered encouraging words. But for those who want to, Mythical Me, Finding Freedom from Constant Comparison releases on October 8th
1: 20 22nd october 22nd, 22nd.
0: Mm-hmm. um and they can get it wherever books are sold correct
1: that's correct and i'd love to um hear from people if they if they have questions or if they'd like to connect with me i'm on instagram at and um love to love to know what's going on in in your world, not so that I compare can compare my world to it, but so that I can rejoice in being in relationship yes, with you.
0: Yes, and can I just say, I'm sure this speaks for you as well. We love authors and podcast hosts, and you know whomever is putting content out there. We love hearing from people, don't we? Just mm.
1: oh, absolutely love to take
0: the time yeah. to read how it's impacted readers and um, engage. That's That's one of the joys of why we do what we do, right? Yes. Right.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah. It's not for the money, is it, Beth?
0: (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Uh, Well, Rochelle, best of luck to you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Blessings to you.
0: All of us can relate to Rochelle's story of struggling with comparison and creating a mythical composite woman that we measure ourselves against. I wonder what that mythical woman looks like in your world. I'm curious about what I have concocted in my own, and I will be thinking more about that today. I think because Rochella brought up a therapist and we talked a little bit about looking back at our stories, I just need to talk to you a little bit about the counseling center that my husband and I own. It is called Restoration Counseling, and our home office is right here in our town, Fort Collins. We also have an office in Austin, Texas. And we have online counselors who are doing some story work remotely. We have lots of people who fly in to do three day intensives, both to Texas and here in Colorado. And our entire focus is on restory, the restory process that, um, Really, we've taken a lot of that from Dan Allender and his work at the Seattle School and the Allender Center. My husband has evolved and morphed that into a framework that he teaches all of us who are a part of the center. I'm currently in the Institute alongside of our spiritual counselors and our therapists, and we are talking about the importance of story And reframing some of those interpretations that we made as children. Kurt Thompson says that children are amazing at observation, but they are horrible at making interpretations. And so as children, we experienced events, and we had emotions around those events, and then we made interpretations, and they were not always correct. And we have been living out of those false interpretations, some of us, for our entire lives. And so our focus is very much on looking back and restoring some of those early narratives that we made as children so if you are at all interested in learning more about what we're doing we're always looking for people who want to join our team and we're always looking for people who want to come and do that work with us you can find out more at www.restorationcounselingno.co.com, noco.com uh, or just actually an easier url is restorycolorado.com or restoryaustin.com. and uh, would love would love to interact with you over in that space as well Thanks for listening. As always, this is Beth Bruno, and this has been the Fierce and Lovely Podcast.